Hello you and welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we're talking about Get Over It. We're talking about it with the illustrious Allison Raskin. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I will soon be joined by my marvelous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Get Over It is a 2001 American teen comedy film loosely based on William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. It's about a high school senior who desperately tries to win back his ex-girlfriend by joining the school play she and her new boyfriend are performing in. And this person, he's doing it against the advice of his friends. That's where it all starts. And then there's songs. Then there's dance. There's vitamin C. There's Cisco. It is... A great time. And we talked about this fine film with Alison Raskin, who seriously has done it all. She's done it all. She's a New York Times bestselling author, has written YA novels and a nonfiction book. She's written shows and developed shows with networks that you know about. She has this channel called Just Between Us on YouTube that has nearly 200 million views. Uh, that channel features a lot of content with her and Gabe Dunn, who's been on this show before. She has a mental health focused Instagram account called Emotional Support Lady. She's a podcast creator, just does it all. And I was so happy to have her here to talk about this uh, very strange teen movie. And I say that with love for both Allison and said very strange teen movie. How are you doing? How's it all going in your world? What are you eating? What are you thinking about? What are you watching? What are you reading? Let us know on Twitter, let us know on Instagram, let us know on Blue Sky, let us know on Threads. You can find You Are Good there. You can find me on TikTok at Alex Steed. I'm also in all of those other places, uh, but I'm making show related stuff on TikTok as well. You can find us in those places and just let us know how you're doing. And don't forget that you, my friend, not don't look across the room and think I'm talking to someone else. You, my friend, are good. You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies is made possible with and by your support. Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple podcast subscriptions. We can make the show because of you. You're the whole reason we're able to make the show. Thank you so much. You help pay the bills. You help make this venture possible. And in exchange, you get bonus episodes. We've been doing a whole bunch of bonus episodes about Carrie Bradshaw and or Hannibal Lecter. We're taking the month off from that for a breather so we can cover the movie Debs. When we covered But I'm a Cheerleader, a bunch of people were like, well, my time in understanding uh, same-sex attraction uh, to other gals in particular was the movie Debs. And so that brought it onto my radar. I was talking with Sarah and uh, it was on her radar as well. And we were like, let's do Debs for this month's bonus episode. So I hope that you'll enjoy that. It's a buoyant chat, I will say. Check it out. But, you know, thank you for your support. You make the show possible. You make it possible for us to focus our time and energy on this. And we appreciate that. And we appreciate you. Just a few quick announcements before we begin. One, I saw You Were My First Boyfriend this week. It's on Max. You can see it there. We used to call it HBO when I was uh, younger. And by younger, I mean like 39 and before, but we call it Max now. And on Max, you can find You Were My First Boyfriend. You might be able to find it elsewhere. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's made by Cecilia Alderando and Sarah Enid Hagee. They reached out and they were like, hey, uh, we love the show. We think you will get this movie that we made. Check it out. And I checked it out. And, you know, when people do that, you're like, oh, no. Like, what if it's bad? <laughs> But it's great. Like, this isn't an ad. It's just a movie I really, really enjoyed by people who get the show. And I think that if you like our show, you will like this movie. Cecilia didn't have a great time in high school. I can relate. So she creates all these sort of recreations of scenes that happened at that time so she can work through it and goes back to people she knew then and revisits in a real way. It's doing a lot of work on behalf of those of us who didn't necessarily have the best time in high school, and I cannot recommend it enough. Again, it's called You Were My First Boyfriend. This episode comes out on November 15th. If you hear it in the morning, let's say, uh, you might have enough time to spare to get on down to the Jewish Voices for Peace, LA Jews and Allies Say Ceasefire Now rally. You'll find me there. Uh, I'm just letting you know about that in case that's of interest to you. And if you're not able to make it to that, uh, the organization has rallies all over. You can find more information on their website. Speaking of several of those areas of intersection, our great friends at the Bechdel cast, 
Jamie and Caitlin are uh, staging It's a Wonderful Life on December 10th in Los Angeles at Dynasty Typewriter. If you're not able to make it with your body, uh, if you're not able to actually get to Dynasty Typewriter, it's streaming as well. You can buy tickets for the actual live event or you can buy tickets to stream it. Half the proceeds will go to American Near East Refugee Aid and Palestinian Children's Relief Fund. Uh, so money is going to a good cause. And it'll be great, I'm sure, because it's Jamie Loftus and Caitlin Durante. It will be fantastic. I don't know if they're both playing Jimmy Stewart, but that would be great. And finally, uh, this doesn't do you any good because the event is sold out. But I just wanted you to know that Sarah and our great friends, Chelsea and Miranda at American Hysteria. And, you know, Miranda also because she produces and edits this very show. They are having an event in Portland, Oregon called A Massive Seance. It's happening at the Aladdin. Again, it's sold out. It's happening in December. It's probably going to be great. If you're one of the people who are going to it, congratulations, because this thing sold out seemingly in seconds. There were tickets available for a second and then there were no tickets available. I hope that if you are going to the show that you have a great time. And I don't know if ones will happen in the future, but I'm just happy knowing that all of our friends are going to be on stage together <laughs> being delightful weirdos like we appreciate. All right, that's enough from me right now. Let's rewind a couple of decades. Let's revisit The Bard and Martin Short. The, a match made in heaven. Let's go back to 2001 and let's learn how to get over it. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. What fools these mortals be. I'm glad that that's where we are starting. This is fantastic. Y'all, there are some, some of you who are very excited. There are some of you who don't know what we're about to get into, but we are touching on that stretch of time that happened between the mid-90s and the early 2000s. Called the late 90s. <laughs> when Shakespeare was all the rage for kids in their movies. What are, we, uh, what are we covering, Sarah? We are talking about Get Over It, which has been like moving around on the calendar for several months now. And until very recently, every time I saw it, my eyeballs saw Get Over It and my brain heard Bring It On. And then I realized <laughs> that it was a whole other movie that isn't Bring It On. <laughs> Had you heard of this before diving into it today? Yeah, I, I I knew of it when it was coming out. But like this movie, did this come out in 99 or like 2000? I think it was 02 or 03. It's 02. Really? I think it's 2001. 2001. Yeah. Oh, wow. None of, none of those years. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's called a showcase showdown, everybody. Oh, did it get did it get swallowed by 2001? I feel like that maybe that's part of its... Uh legacy situation anyway it's hard yeah. to say but yeah but the, i i was aware of this movie coming out but i feel like i loved teen movies as like a late tween and then i became an actual young teen and i was threatened and disturbed by teen <laughs> movies and i wanted to listen to lorena mckennett under a blanket <laughs> sarah personality nuggets um <laughs> That's perfect. Well, let's let's figure out why we're talking about this movie. Let's introduce today's guest, shall we? Sarah Marshall, who are we joined by today? Oh my God, we're joined today by Allison Raskin. Allison, Woo! hello. Hello. This is a dream. <gasps> oh my gosh, <laughs> you're a dream. You're cute jeans. <laughs> when we were like, "What's the movie? What's the movie we're gonna do?" This was at the top of the list the whole time, Allison. Yeah, I was really pushing this. I would say that this uh, is the movie I've seen the most by tenfold. It has shaped my entire sense of humor, a large part of my personality, and uh, my husband doesn't think much of it. <laughs> <laughs> were you a theater kid? Yes, I. Well, I became a theater kid towards the end of high school sure. when I switched over. Uh, to a boarding school for junior and senior year. Then I really hit the theater track. Right on. I also had a summer at camp when I was about 12, mm. where I, it was the highlight of my acting career, <laughs> where I was Miss Hannigan and Annie. Amazing. And I was the mom and little Abner. Amazing. And I was just mm. on the top of the moon or whatever, <laughs> just whatever you would say to show that I, since then it's been a steady decline. <laughs> I feel like Miss Hannigan was like, if you ask any group of like tweens that are into theater, 
you would expect a tween girl to want to play Annie, but like we all knew that like Miss Hannigan was the real plum role in that musical. Because I also could talk my songs. You get to pretend to be drunk. Yes. I, I feel like I've played a lot of characters that are drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Just like swig some iced tea out of a flask. Yeah. <laughs> Allison, we'll get we'll get more into like your relationship with this movie and stuff later on in the conversation. But I am curious, like, what is your you know, two or three line pitch for what this movie, like if you're talking to someone at a party and you find out that someone hasn't heard of this film, how do you sell them on it? Well, I assume that no one's heard of it. <laughs> I say it's it's a incredible teen comedy with an outrageously good cast about a high school putting on a musical production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Beautiful. And like it should be better known. And yeah, this movie stars... Everyone. Everyone. Flash forward. Thong song. <laughs> Spider-Man. That thing you do. Ben Foster. I, I've never seen Ben Foster in like a light role. This was new for me. Well, that was my introduction to Ben Foster. So you can imagine my surprise <laughs> when he then took such a darkly dramatic turn. <laughs> we get vitamin C. Uh, everything. Yeah, this is... Cisco. I love it. This is great. Yeah, and I like... I do like... And we'll cover it, but I love that... Of all the movies that we've ever touched on that like has a play in it, no movie has been so bold to make 20 minutes of the runtime the play. So that's, this is great. I feel like uh, uh, Waiting for Guffman, a lot of it is play. Oh, you're you're right. You're right. The climax of Waiting for Guffman is a long, is a long play. But I like that they did this here in this, uh, in this 2001 film for teens. Sarah Marshall. Yes. Before we go further... Can you tell us what the hell this is all about? Yes. This movie, like the Barbie movie, I think is a great example of how if you start off really strong, you can kind of do whatever you want. And so in our first five minutes, Ben Foster, our protagonist, Burke, don't name your protagonist that, you guys. <laughs> Burke Landers, which has to be an homage Land to... Burkers. It has to be an homage to Boogie Nights from Brock Landers. Oh, who's Brock Landers in that? He's the uh, John C. Riley character. What if it's an homage to both that character and Burke and Hare? I'll take it. That's what I would like. I'll take it. It's canon. Do you know, I think it's important to tell everyone that the original name for the movie was supposed to be Getting Over Allison. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. We have several renditions of the song Allison in this movie, which is great. Yes, it was meant for me. <laughs> and yet, it has stopped short of being called Getting Over Allison Raskin, which... <laughs> Potentially having a movie title about someone breaking up with you could be a little annoying. <laughs> yeah. Wait, do you have do you have any uh, do you have any experience in that arena, Sarah Marshall? Not that I can remember. <laughs> any hoozles. So okay, so Ben Foster, Burke Landers is we open with him talking about this girl who is he's known since he was a kid and. She turned up at high school and it was true love and her name's Allison. And you're kind of like, oh, this whole movie is going to be about Allison. And it is in a way, but it's about her dumping him after they had been together for 16 months. And then our strong start, which is a very elaborate and ambitious one shot set to <laughs> vitamin C, who when she showed up, I thought, my God, is that Jerry Halliwell? But it's vitamin C. <laughs> singing love will keep us together as like a bride and groom and like a marching band it's yeah. fantastic it is fantastic i think that's why i now don't feel fully satisfied unless a film has a musical number <laughs> yeah and you don't and you just have one at the beginning and one at the very end and that's perfect that's the right journey yeah and don't even worry about it that's such a spectacular the music is such a spectacular open it's so good but even just like it's unique in that like that first 90 seconds of backstory was so tight and like well written and, and great because like you get a sense of this isn't just like a high school girlfriend like this is like they have a lifelong relationship. And I was really yeah, I was really taken just by like how well set up the first couple minutes of the movie is. Yeah. And so then we have that's our opening. That's our first five. And then. It's uh, Ben Foster dealing with the immediate fallout of this breakup. And so his bestie, Colin Hanks, is like, don't be so glum, man. I'm a party guy. I'm Colin Hanks. Let's go to the bronze, I guess. <laughs> there was a <laughs> minute when they were trying to make Colin Hanks a smarmy guy. And it 
I feel like it just didn't land. <laughs> I think he nailed it in this role. You think so? <laughs> I think everyone was exceptional. I think like my formative Colin Hanks experience was Orange County, which is like yeah, sweet boy. him in the Ben Foster role. Yeah. But I yeah, mm-hmm. I love that he's like playing a shithead in this. And I also like because like the summary for this on YouTube, which is where I watch most of the movies we do on this show, I guess because it's simplest for me, Same. is when a popular high school basketball star who's down on his luck gets dumped by his girlfriend, he desperately does anything to get her back. I guess I could just be reading these. But I read that and I was like, is he popular? Yeah. And then I was like, I, he's not unpopular. And Everyone I really, I feel like this movie is right. And like. Ben Foster is like exactly the type of guy who like typically plays the unpopular guy in movies, but is actually popular in real high school because movie ugly is real life (laughs) hot. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, he's cute. He's like a little cutie, but he's like, uh, I also like the outfits that they're wearing. Like nobody's (laughs) doing their best, you know, like it's like Mila Kunis is in it looking like amazing but like has like her natural mm-hmm. curls which I feel like is like so unheard of for that time period yeah. like the Allison character is like has short hair like I just feel like it was kind of breaking some like norms that you would normally see of like what counts as cool and what doesn't at that time for sure and like this is a wonderfully like consequence free movie for people too. like things happen that in real life you would never come back from. There's like a throwaway <laughs> joke where Ben Foster like walks out onto the basketball court with no pants and that doesn't come yeah. back to haunt him at all. Like if we made a teen movie about it today, that would like drive him to an early grave. <laughs> yeah, I do. You're right. I hadn't even picked up on that. But there is a refreshing lack of stakes in the movie that I really enjoy. I really appreciate. Even if he doesn't end up where he's hoping to land, which he doesn't, he ends up in a different way. It's You're not like, this is going to be the end of the world. You can just tell he's like weirdly obsessed with this situation. Right. It's just a very comfy, cozy environment. And so he... He wants to get her back, obviously. He goes out partying with Colin Hanks, where who should he run into and who should his ex-girlfriend run into but a walk to remember himself, (laughs) Shane West. (laughs) Doing... One of the best fake accents I've ever heard. <laughs> His accent in this is at least as good as Harry Styles' American accent and Don't Worry, Darling. <laughs> but what's great is that it's meant to be bad. Like, it gets called out in the movie. Of, like Where yeah. he's like, what? Where, what is your accent from? You know, and like, it, I just wanted to be a fly on the wall of Shane West developing that. I know. <laughs> so, he's like driving. He's in traffic. He's like... Hello, Governor. No, that's not it. (laughs) (laughs) And he's playing a... Allison, tell me if I have this right. His name is Stryka. Yeah. And he was in a boy band and they had a hit called Love Scud. And now he's like taking a break (laughs) from being in a boy band to go to a high school in Vancouver. Yeah, I think that he like his family must have moved or something. But yeah, like he was part of this like very popular boy band and is used to being like, you know, beloved and successful. Yeah. I also love that they show you the music video. Yes. It's yeah, I love that. You better show me that music video. This film gives you what you want. Totally. And it's perfect. We're not teasing anything, we're delivering. It's beautiful. And yeah, so Stryker like immediately starts a romance with Allison and we get to hear the first rendition of several of Ben Foster climbing up on Allison's roof and singing Allison by Elvis Costello, which is like not the most optimistic love song. <laughs> no, it's terrifying. I mean, I remember growing up and being like, what is this song about? Because it doesn't seem good. Right? Yeah, it's it, well, yeah, it's it, tell us about having a famous song uh-huh. that is your name that's like not inherently exclusively positive. Like what's <laughs> what's that? What is that like? I think you just embrace it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and when I sing that song, like I'm not doing Elvis Costello. Of course not. I'm doing Shane West and get over it. <laughs> I love that. Like I'm impersonating when he's doing his like audition and he sings the song for the musical. I'm like, I'm performing it like Shane West. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm going to be singing Elvis Costello's Allison in the style of Shane West, please. Yeah, Thank you. exactly. <laughs> And so basically, and then also at the club, they run into Colin Hanks, his little sister, Kirsten Dunst. Hell yeah. 
might be half siblings. Um, <laughs> he's like, meh, you're my baby sister who's a mere one year younger than me and clearly has a thing for my friend. Um, and then there's just so much fun throwaway stuff. Like they set Burke up on a date with this extremely accident prone girl from New Zealand who's at their school. That kills a good five minutes. And I love that. But basically the plot is that Martin Short Ugh. is the drama teacher. This, what a perfect movie for teens who love Martin Short. I Like me. <laughs> that is literally my favorite character that exists is Martin Short and Get Over It. Yeah. And then I recently started watching Only Murders in the Building oh, again. Wow. And I was like, it's the same character. <laughs> like. Yeah. They brought back the get over it. And I was like, of course, this show is doing well because I've been screaming for years and this is the funniest character I've ever seen. This is how I feel about Brian Cox and Succession, because for decades I've been like that Brian Cox. He's great in Manhunter. Great movie. Great. I mean, not that great of a movie. Great movie by my standards. Great performance. Great guy. I just hope that he has a big moment to shine like the big shiny star he is. Maybe by being mean to everyone. <laughs> yeah, like literally the way he delivers lines in Only Murders, like the cadence of his character, like it's all, I mean, it was so seminal for me, the way that he delivered his lines in that movie, like as a comedian, like I was like, oh, hmm. this is how you make a joke. <laughs> what is like an example of that? Okay, so a thing I say constantly. So he has this assistant, Jessica. And he always says, Jessica. And I, I called my college bike, Jessica, after this. And so he, he says to her, he goes at one point, keep icing your front bum. Swelling will persist if you don't ice. And I need you. And then he turns to the other people and goes, not really. <laughs> That's to me. Your Martin Short delivery is perfect. There's something about just like clipping the end of the sentence. Huh. That's so good. Oh, my God. But the not really is like such a, yeah. I was like, that's how humor works. <laughs> totally. Keep icing your front bum is my favorite line from this whole movie. Yeah. Keep icing your front <laughs> bum. That's good advice. Because she got hit in the crotch. So. <laughs> <laughs> also, put your hand down, little Steve, screaming that. <laughs> a huge quote in my home. <laughs> oh, my God. I love little Steve. <laughs> I'm sad I miss I mean I would have been 18 when this came out so I don't know that I was I think that I thought that I was too cool at that point but the um I'm sad I missed it in a way because I loved Martin Short in like reruns of SCTV when I was a kid like loved mm. him and didn't fully outside of seeing three amigos occasionally like didn't fully realize like he was a phenomenon until later mm. in my life and then was oh, like man yeah. I missed so much Martin Short in my life this would have been perfect I'm one of the people who will defend Clifford. Oh, it's it's you are right to do so. Have you seen that one, Allison? <laughs> no, I actually have haven't done deep dives into his other seminal characters, which I sh I think that I should. That's like how Liz's boyfriend Chris on 30 Rock is a huge James Vanderbeek fan and has seen all of his work except Dawson's Creek. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> me and March Short. Very actors I feel that way about. Yeah, totally. But um Oh yeah. Clifford is a movie where Charles Grodin is like <laughs> taking care of his nephew or something and his nephew is just played by like 45 year old Martin Short. He's just <laughs> playing a grotesque boy like the one in men or something. <laughs> a movie not enough people saw for that to be a, a good reference but just watch it. Just watch Clifford. He's playing like an like an eight year old. Yes. And through like the way it's shot he looks very little and it's Perfect. It really is. Okay, great. Roger Ebert hated it so much. <laughs> oh my God. So, yeah, so Martin Short is like, he doesn't really say this, but he's like, attention, proles. I'm having a Midsummer Night's Dream musical that I've written myself. And so everyone is trying out for it. And nothing really comes of this dramatically, but Ben Foster is also juggling drama and basketball. So like this movie did anticipate high school musical in a big way. Yes, definitely. So <laughs> he just is like laser focused on getting back together with Allison. And meanwhile, Kirsten Dunst like clearly likes him and is helping him with his audition and explaining the play to him. And they keep bonding and... La la la. And then, you know, ultimately this culminates in my favorite of all 
theater movie cliches, which is the big play happens and then somebody gets up and decides that they're not going to do what they're supposed to do. They're going to do their own thing. And so Kirsten Dunst performs this song that she's been writing herself that Martin Short won't listen to her about putting her own song in it because this is his big break or whatever. And he can't stop her. And she did it with the encouragement of Ben Foster. And then he, through a montage, realizes that he's totally bugging and he loves Josh. (laughs) I mean, Kirsten Dunst. And then they get together on stage and a walk to remember gets electrocuted. And (laughs) it's just super sweet. It's the, it really like fits, I think the tone of a Midsummer Night's Dream, which is just like a comedy in the sense that like everything is cartoonish and light and consequence free and all the right people get together at the end. Yeah. Cause a lot of people do like, cause Colin Hanks gets together with the accident prone, <laughs> hot New Zealand girl. Uh, Cisco gets together with Mila Kunis finally. And then he gets to dance around with vitamin C who's in it as herself <laughs> in the credits. <laughs> it's so good. You, you skip the really important scene with Carmen Electra. Oh my tell God. Us. Oh, that's the best part. Please tell us about that part. Yeah, that's a great scene. <laughs> it's also like Allison's best friend is played by Zoe Saldana. Like, it's literally like, yeah. who was the casting director? And were they a prophet? Like, right? every single person went on to have a huge career. Yeah, it's a wild cast. Tell us about the uh, Carmen Electra scene, Allison. Okay, so Cisco and Colin Hanks are trying to get Burke over Allison. So they take him to, like, this sex club. And then they, like, make him go on stage. And Carmen Electra comes out and, like, is in a dominatrix outfit. And it's like... I'm the Lord's form. I'm going to torture you. And then right as she's about to, and he's like pulled up onto a harness to like hang over the stage, uh, the cops raid the club and um, Burke just sort of like hangs there and they like arrest him. And then another wonderful element of this film is that his parents run like a talk sex show like a daytime sex talk show so they're like yeah they're like unproblematic dr drew but yeah, as a partnership they're like so chill and they're like oh burke honey we didn't know you were exploring your sexuality and then it's like would you like some yogurt and he's like yeah i'll get some yogurt <laughs> it's just the best i love that i do love that that is that is presented with there's no Payoff. There's not. I'm not, I'm not saying this negatively, but that that doesn't go anywhere. His parents are just accepting and sex positive. I'm sick of things going somewhere in movies. <laughs> yeah, they're just like it's just Susie Kurtz and Ed Begley Jr. and they're very funny about uh, making him uncomfortable about sex. And he and like in a dynamic like family ties, they're very open. And he's like a little like, yeah. I need you guys to be like, yeah, parents. parents. Yeah, <laughs> and I want to see more comedy about parents who are like overly open about. Not overly, but just like, no, that's not an archetype we see that much of parents who are like not afraid to talk about sex and like kind of, you know, and that it's funny, but you can also model that in a positive way. And I think one of the only parts of the most recent season of Ink Just Like That that I actually liked was Charlotte staggering around in a blizzard going, my daughter needs condoms. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also it's not like they're not like bad parents. It's not no. like they're absent parents yeah. or they don't, they're just like open and Colin Hanks at one point throws a party at Burke's house and they come home early and they like catch the party. And so then you get the fun joke of like, well, we had no idea you're going to do this. We would have sprung for some streamers. Like they're just like so, <laughs> so supportive. Yeah. I like that. they like the two villains and villain is a very strong word. They're not even, they're just like things to get over. Are, the two jerks. Yeah. Are a, like a megalomaniacal drama teacher and a new boyfriend of your ex-girlfriend and those are just it's just like i just gotta get over this on my trek or my quest to realize that i am in love with kirsten dunst yeah because you know who among us would not be oh all of america is in love with kirsten dunst i i certainly hope yeah and i i like how the solution to both those villains is to just kind of learn to ignore them like it's like just ignore shane west and just like sing your own song and don't bother <laughs> like because it's like not it's not like a, a dragon you have to slay it's a dragon you have to ignore <laughs> <laughs> 
Allison, why did this resonate with you when you first experienced it? Um, t- tell us about your journey with this movie. So I have a horrible memory. So I don't like remember a time where I didn't know every line in this film. <laughs> but I think I just I'm a love of rom-com. So already we're in my favorite genre. And then I think I just found it to hit like all the things I just love. Like Mm. I love musical numbers. I love like dance sequences. I love like how just like funny it was. Like I think that like the laugh out loud per minute of this movie, at least for me, is much higher than most movies. Like there's like solid jokes like throughout the whole thing while accomplishing all of the story that you want where everything pays off and like I don't know, they managed to like have a lot going on even though like it seems pretty simple because you're like you're tracking him, like you're tracking like friends. You're kind of invested in Martin Short and like this production being successful for him. You know, um, <laughs> another like really important line, which like is inappropriate anymore. But that at the time I found funny was like one of the guys who is like horrible in the cast, like has to deliver like this one line and he does it so badly. And then Martin Short just comes over and is like, you tell me if you had a stroke, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that dynamic. I love the dynamic of like teacher who's so up in their shit that they're just like radically inappropriate to the students because they're like competing with themselves on some level. Yeah. And like his bits where he's like, and the incredible Robert De Niro told me, well, not me. I I read it in an article. Like it's just like so funny. In the words of Kevin Spacey, the show must go on. It's like, yeah, he coined that <laughs> right. like I think it was like a teen movie but it was also meant for us to grow up and then understand the jokes even better when we were older yeah well and I love teen movies that like bother having jokes because there is like so much teen media that's like ah they're teens we don't have to try but like those mm-hmm. these are the ones that stick around there's also a song called Fun to Be a Fairy, which I yes. love. Oh, yeah. Because it is. <laughs> it's fun to be a fairy. I'll do it all around. Da, 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 da. It won't back down. <laughs> it's also kind of fun. It's it's a little bit like Ocean's Eleven because it's fun to watch them prepare for the big thing and then yes. to like see what it actually looks like. Absolutely. Allison, what do you think the movie like speaks to uh, in your personality like why is this a thing that you keep returning to well I love love I love happy endings yeah. like um, I'm someone who like avoids sad content like yeah. I just feel like the world is sad I'm sad like I don't need <laughs> like when I'm consuming I don't I want to feel good mm-hmm. um, and I know that's like very controversial and a lot of people <laughs> won't agree with me but <laughs> maybe their lives are easier maybe I, I don't know the people that like watch medical dramas I'm like are you okay like my parents are just watching the most depressing TV shows and I'm like why are you doing this to yourself there is something about being in your 50s that seems to make you seek out entertainment where there's always something beeping in the background like a heart rate (laughs) monitor beeping yeah for some reason it's like once you're 50 you're ready for like the NBC 10 o'clock Thursday night drama like that's what you're into oh that's much too late Alex (laughs) that's where they hide their sad shows Something interesting is that my mom, who has never watched reality TV in her entire life, um, except for 1900 House on PBS 25 years ago, (laughs) is watching The Golden Bachelor. Oh, it's a phenomenon. Apparently. Is it? I I haven't been watching and I used to be a part of Bachelor Nation. Oh, but then you got (laughs) repatriated. Well, I kind of lost interest. Yeah. I mean, I've never watched The Bachelor purely because those episodes just seem way too long to me. Like, I just can't. I couldn't focus. But it does make me think of the Liz Lemonism, which is like, if you're 70 years old, Donna, like, why not just die and then meet a great guy in heaven? (laughs) (laughs) My grandmother, my grandmother who just passed got married at 65 oh wow and and she passed at 90 and we were all like we, everyone was like what like what is happening and she was happily her her life was new yeah she was happily married from 65 to 90 that's amazing in a way that like i didn't think much about when it was happening but when she passed and i looked back on it i was like wow that's like incredibly inspiring longer than most marriages 
Maybe when I'm 65, I'll have the energy to get married. I think that, Sarah, I think that that was it. It's like, I think she was ready to show up for marriage at that. But she was like, all right, yeah, we can do it now. I think the thing about dating is, here's the thing I understand about dating. I realize this is not what this movie is about, but it kind of is. Is that like, I fully believe that if I date 100 people... Uh If I go on 100 dates, like somewhere in there, I will find the right person. Like, I don't think there's one soulmate. I think there's like tens of thousands of adequate soulmates for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ideally. But I simply cannot leave the house that many times. I need to (laughs) order in. Well, just just spread it out over 20 years. Well, no, as someone who like writes about relationships for a living, I am a huge proponent of that. I'm like, you're compatible with thousands of people. You just have to meet like one or two of them. (laughs) Right. Make it work. But um, yeah, I I think that like this movie just delivers, like I said, like what you want it to be. And it keeps it it keeps it fun. It keeps it fresh. And and there's so many jokes that on rewatch, it's like funnier rather than like boring. Yeah. I think the the sheer lack of seriousness of it is really delightful to me because I and I I felt the same way when I watched John Tucker Must Die recently, which like when it came out, there were like ads for it on TV. And I was like, that movie looks amazing. And then it was like out of theaters really fast. And like, I think it got pretty bad reviews. And then I watched it. I was like, this movie is amazing. People were wrong. (laughs) And that this movie feels kind of similar in tone where it's like it it feels like maybe critics or whoever drives these things I think more adults than actual teens for sure like didn't understand that teens or at least me as a teen like really wanted and needed something that just kind of makes this cute quirky fantasia out of our lives and isn't trying to be about issues yeah I think I think what it does so well and this is only echoing what you just said is that there's like a lack of seriousness, but it's also not pandering or talking down. And yeah. it's not irreverent for its like like right. an American pie is I'm not saying it's irreverent, but like it leans into like its crassness is what sells it. And there is like some like whatever love between the characters. Yeah, it's the it's the movie where it was such a meme that like oh, Jason Biggs really fucks that pie. He fucks a pie like the centerpiece of the movie is he fucks a pie. The center of the pie is, is that. <laughs> but this is like the balance of what this does is really interesting is like it's not serious. There are not stakes, but it's also it also like assumes that people are watching it have like a solid and healthy sense of humor and like even like an advanced sense of humor. And yeah, I, I it worked. The balance is great. And I think also part of what is so great is how our leads play their roles. Mm-hmm. Like Ben Foster is not in a teen comedy. Ben Foster is in a drama <laughs> about the worst period of his life. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he is. And like, as someone who's like done a lot of like improv and stuff, like it was always like, you don't want to be delivering jokes. You just want to be a person where these crazy things are happening to you and you're responding mm. how a human would respond. And then the situation is funny. And I think that like, that's mm. really a lot of what this movie is, is like, he's like a straight character who's like an incredible actor, like really playing this role of a kid who gets dumped. And then Kirsten Dunst is an amazing actress, like full emotional range. Like their character arcs are are real (laughs) and it's not like a joke and like you are emotionally attached to them and they're playing it very grounded and then everything that's happening around them is like cuckoo bananas (laughs) yeah can we that those are all amazing points about how it's played i do have some questions about people's like motivations and interests or whatever can we talk about the trope in which a brother does not want anyone to be interested in his sister because Mm -hmm. that comes up throughout the movie where Colin Hanks is like like beats up Ben Foster for making an advance on his sister or whatever and what is what is that like not in this movie not just in this movie like this is a trope that happens in in many movies like what is going on with brother who is scarily looking after his sister don't ask women that question the call is coming from inside the house it doesn't feel protective like it doesn't feel like he's looking out for her autonomy i think it's a product of of america's fear and condemnation of sex Mm-hmm. that like sex is seen as dirty and therefore that it will contaminate my younger sister yeah that's my hot take i'm reminded of the part 
in The Wolf of Wall Street where they're talking about how Donnie married his cousin and he's explaining it all like it's very logical. And he's like, well, you know, my cousin, she grew up and she grew up hot, you know, and all these guys (laughs) wanted to fuck her. And I couldn't let that happen, you know, (laughs) out of respect. So so I fucked her. (laughs) Your impression of Jonah Hill in The Wolf of Wall Street is my new favorite thing. He's got to open your eyes real big. (laughs) Talk through your veneers. Um. (laughs) You, You know. Is that a respect? <laughs> I do. He he eventually comes around. Thankfully, he eventually realizes this love can and should be sanctioned. I mean, Colin Hanks in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, and he gets over it. Thankfully, but that's always a funny. I've always found that to be a funny trope. Like, don't be near my sister. Don't get. And, and I know it's like, you know, it feels rooted in a like. I'm not looking out again. I'm not looking out for this person's autonomy. I'm looking out for them as my property. <laughs> A way that feels very uncomfortable. But Colin Hanks delivers. Right. And it's also, it's interesting, too, because, like, you know, the whole that country song about, like, you know, yeah, take my daughter on a date and I'll be here at the table polishing this gun. Um, (laughs) Like, that impulse is, like, not altogether bad. It's just, like, you know, polish your gun for, like, if this guy, like, does wrong by your daughter not for if she has sex with him because she wants to (laughs) right i know it's like do you want them to be alone forever right like you hope for them to have loneliness sometimes unfortunately i think the answer might be yes (laughs) this is the paradox of of femininity right that if you actually do what you're told to do while you're growing up then you just kind of end up a nun but then that's wrong too so you actually can't follow instructions and end up constructing your life in a way anyone's going to be happy with you about sarah what were you struck by uh in your viewing of this movie what stood out i just think that this like the same way we talked about baz lerman's william shakespeare's romeo plus juliet really feeling in the spirit of old old billy boy How like this feels like that, too, you know, that it is about a bunch of teenagers and like, you know, high school kind of is an enchanted forest. And I also love how Shakespeare just kind of solves problems for people by sending them into a forest. He's like, just go (laughs) hang out in the forest. It'll work out. God. (laughs) And that just, yeah, what I said about how there is like a lightheartedness to all this where like people have love rivals and their social friction and stuff. But like. We know everything is going to work out for everybody and it feels like kind of a safe experience. And I think I like any movie teen oriented or not that feels like that because, you know, like the actual experience of of human life and search for love, like feels very scary and precarious a lot of the time. And it feels like Mm. like one of the things that I think is really sweet about this movie is that like. Colin Hanks is like always there and he's like, come to the party, come to the club. You can't be sad alone. Like come to this weird, come to the strip club that accepts our fake IDs and has Carmen Electra (laughs) working there. And we'll get to see her for one second because the rest of her scene was cut for ratings reasons, probably. (laughs) But she's on the poster. Her name's on the poster. But she's on the poster. You can't waste that, that sweet Carmen Electra clout. Not in 2001. But like... Yeah, that the people have community in this movie and there just is like this yeah. like safe, cozy feeling that I think is a lot because of that. Yeah, for sure. And I love that like I feel like a lot of times when it's a movie about a guy or someone being obsessed with a certain person only to realize that the other person is who they are meant to be with. Mm-hmm. It's based on that person being like some idealized, like not real entity where in this it's like his actual ex-girlfriend like it's this girl that he like really knows and had like a full-blown relationship with and who at Mm -hmm. one point loved him but no longer loves him and and the journey of like having to let go of that of being like that even though because not to spoiler but like you know at one point she does come back to him and for him to like have the strength to be like like i've moved on you know i've quote unquote gotten over it it's like i think kind of like empowering that like he's not yeah. settling for kirsten dunce he really is now in a new yeah. phase of his life where he recognizes that she's a better fit for him and so it's like also just like a lovely lesson about how love works so you can really really love somebody but then with time really really love somebody else yeah. 
Which I love. And like getting broken up with, like he when he's broken up with, it's great. He's shocked. Like he doesn't, he d- didn't see it coming. The delivery is really great. He doesn't see it. And like getting broken up with, like there, there's obviously all these competing things that happen when that happens. And one is obviously the grief of a breakup. But the second one is like, and you don't quite know this at the moment, but like part of it is the terror of being like, oh no, I have to enter a new phase in my life. Like I have to mm-hmm. like be a new I have to like figure out who I am now in a different context, mm-hmm. which is kind of part and parcel with grief. But the process that he's going through in this movie is he gets involved in the play in order to impress Allison, who he's trying to be with, and then kind of like realizes that there's something there, at least like on his journey to be getting involved in the play with Kirsten Dunst. And like that is the process through which he realizes that he sort of is comfortable with this new version of himself. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that like resistance for like the first hour is like, oh, fuck, I got to I have to know who and what I am outside of the context of the thing that I was very comfortable in. Mm. And we didn't even mention that his audition song for the musical was a jingle for uh, gum. That was great. (laughs) It was really great. They sang the big red theme song. It was brilliant. Gotta sing what you see. And it's just like, None of the scenes are like, oh, I've never seen this before. But I feel like the movie does a really great job of making the details specific and fun and fresh. Yeah. We're like, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen. I know whatever. But like, I didn't think that he would start singing Big Red as his like audition song. And it's about enjoying the journey, right? Because there's the thing of like, you know, I think most pop songs use one of a very finite number of chord progressions. And then that mm-hmm. opens some songs up to being accused of plagiarism but like you don't have to specifically plagiarize another song you know about to duplicate you know basically one of a set number of templates that exist in pop music because they sound nicest to Mm -hmm. us you know and like i was watching um this movie called the seven ups last night which honestly i could not stay focused on at all but it was a roy scheider movie that's supposed to have what at the time was one of the most according to the criterion collection uh one of the most exciting car chases of all time and i do have to say (laughs) i think my life must have been much less exciting in the 70s than it is now But they do the car chase thing where like, you know, you plow through some crates of fruit and it made me think about how like Siskel and Ebert used to have uh, a yearly special or something or just a a thing in the reviews called they'll do it every time about like cliches and movies. And one of them is driving through fruit or like a pane of glass or something in a car chase and how that's a cliche and we should stop doing that. And like, with respect, we should not stop doing cliches. We should start doing them well. (laughs) The reason those cars drive through crates of fruit is because it's fun to see a a car drive through a crate of fruit. Agreed. (laughs) Exactly. What is it supposed to do? Just drive along unimpeded? Hooray. (laughs) Couldn't agree more. Allison, you were describing why some of the performances work well, and you were describing like Ben Foster is not necessarily in a teen comedy. Like he, there's there's stakes for him, and he's acting that way. And I think that this is kind of why Martin Short's performance works really well. Mm. Is like Martin Short's like not in a teen movie. He's really committing to playing a high school teacher that is like taking this job probably too not too seriously but centering himself too much in the job and did either of you have that teacher because i had like three of that teacher (laughs) i had like three who were like i'm like we're just here like you are Mm -hmm. going through a thing all the time with yourself i had a, a kooky theater teacher i don't think i realized necessarily how kooky until maybe later But I think something that's interesting about theater teachers in particular is like, this was not his dream. His dream was to be a famous director. Mm -hmm. And now his life is directing high school. And so like, there's also just something about like seeing him grapple with that, you know, like Mm -hmm. at one point he's sort of like referring to like some when he like had you had more success and then he's like, but today's good too you know <laughs> like you can just see him trying to like not give himself completely over to the despair of how his life ended up <laughs> um, and it's just so relatable and i feel like he's a level of like kooky that so often doesn't hit where like a lot of times you'll have this sort of like eccentric character and it's like the jokes aren't funny it's too much it doesn't make sense but then to like bring in like such a brilliant 
comedic actor who like inhabits this role to the point where like he just like reprises it for like a current hit tv show you know like i don't think that this movie had any business being as good as it is (laughs) in a lot of ways sure yeah And I think like, yeah, the strength of all these young performers is a big part of it. Like they're all pretty great and they all are apparently given the ability to do what they're best at. Alex, to answer your question, I feel like my high school experience was more teachers taking things extremely seriously and students also taking things extremely (laughs) seriously and everyone taking everything very seriously, which I think is really silly. That's amazing. It's it's just high school. It's not that deep. We had a guy who was our he was the ROTC instructor and his name was Major Finch and I was not in ROTC but His he, name was Major Finch. Major well, he was a major and the last name was Finch. Was he a veteran of the Boer War? Yeah. <laughs> he he didn't have enough like ROTC to cover his time so we had to like do like study hall monitoring <laughs> as well so we had him for study hall. Oh no. And he took that job as seriously as like his position in the army. Like he had the gravitas of a person who like we were about to go to war at any time and he was ready. And I remember like it went from being like menacing to farce. Like we were all just like, what's going on with you? He was so he one one. This is this is going to date me. But like one of the classes above us, they sang at the senior assembly. They sang the Smashing Pumpkin song today because mm-hmm. that was the class song. How does that song go? Today is the greatest day I've ever known. No, it doesn't go today. I can't do that. I can't. <laughs> but you're right. You're absolutely right. And he goes and we're like, Major Finch, what do you think of the assembly? And he was like. I think it was a travesty. Oh, was this this guy 20 or 90? He was like 40 years old. He was a retired, like freshly retired military. So he was like 40 (sighs) years old. Um, But I loved those teachers. In retrospect, I didn't like it then, but I love those teachers now thinking about them where I was like, you know, you were a high school teacher, right? Like this is a whole different, you got a whole different thing going on. I had a chemistry teacher who was Kenyan. And he was like, I'm going to run for president of Kenya in a few years. <laughs> and we were like, OK, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like kind of like a big ask, like you have, you're not living there like you are, you know, <laughs> you don't seem to be involved in their current government. But like, <laughs> you're also like 15 and he's like a really smart chemistry teacher. So you're like, sure. <laughs> I never followed up. Maybe he did. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, my God. What? Um. Yeah. Why? I wonder why this didn't take. Like, why is this a movie not enough people know about? Um. It se- Again, it seems like there's some distribution issues because it's you can't get it on like Apple for whatever reason. But I'm, I'm curious about why it didn't why it didn't like it, it came out early enough to not be buried by September 11th. I'm just I'm not entirely sure why this one didn't sort of grab a mass audience i would guess that there was just so much other stuff somewhat like this out at the same time that it got buried by that i also just think it's weirder like if it's just weirder Mm -hmm. than other teen comedies like you know like if you look at 10 things i hate about you uh, she's all that like bring it on like those are incredible films, but they're not like as like silly or as like, you know, have a runner of a dog that like won't stop humping things. Um, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> you know? um, and so I just think that maybe it was like almost too strange for its time mm-hmm. in a sense of like when people are taking themselves kind of seriously, like when teenagers are, you know, and then it probably didn't reach an older audience that would have appreciated its silliness. So sure. that's my hypothesis. No, I think that that sounds right. Yeah, it does feel like the tone was harder to pin down. And I it was only in theaters for five weeks, which I, I don't really understand how those decisions get made. Like, how do you decide to pull a movie and just be done with it? Like another movie that I'm also curious about how they decided this, that when the movie, the classic film, It's Pat... was put in a very limited number of theaters and it apparently did so poorly that it just got pulled and sent straight to video for everybody else so it technically had a theatrical release but not really and I guess my question like not that I think it's Pat 
probably deserved more. I think that that was fine. I think we're I think we're better for it doing that doing what it did. I think so. I think so as well. Yeah, but like, but. How did we decide that about It's Pat? Because worse movies have spent way more time in theaters and therefore made more money. I don't know what that movie is. It's Pat is the theatrical version of the sketches from Saturday Night Live about It's Pat oh. with uh, with Julia Sweeney. And the whole joke is they're like, is Pat a man or a woman? Um, Clever. Uh, <laughs> And it was a thing for years. Like, it was just around forever. Yeah. And really, like, the whole thing with Pat is, like, Pat's gender is irrelevant. It's really the creepy workplace laughter that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I thought, I, like, there were things, it really felt like they were going for it in a big way in this. Like, I love the whole, I love the montage that serves really no purpose like uh, no it doesn't deliver in any particular way outside of like introducing some shenanigans the whole montage of like they're trying to set him up with the hot woman from New Zealand Mm -hmm. and she's just clumsy like the whole bit is that she's clumsy it leads to they I think they go out for sushi and there is a uh, a whole comedy of errors clumsy scene where everything sort of goes awry and I I like <laughs> What's that kid say? The kid says like, "Ooh, tits!" Yeah. <laughs> like an eight-year-old child. I feel like this was a movie that maybe came out and adults were like, "Who's this for?" And the answer yeah. was like, "It's for teenagers." <laughs> Which I understand you don't get because you're not one of them, but yeah. I think that that sequence served the purpose of making Burke like fear dating, right? Because it was such a bad experience that he was like, I should just keep trying to get back with my ex, which is a known entity, rather than trying these new people who catch things on fire. I love that. So you've put in your hours thinking about themes. You were like riding the bus six years ago and you're like, that scene was there for this reason. <laughs> yes, you knew. <laughs> I love that. This is one of those movies where, with the exception of the fact that, again, like the last solid bit is the play, is it's just like a bunch of sort of vignette scenes in which we see him going out and trying or not trying and uh, uh, learning that he really wishes he was with his ex. <laughs> Center Stage is also a great example of this. And I remember when we talked about it, what we liked the most, this was a bonus episode, was that the big ballet concert at the end is like a summary of the entire movie to that point (laughs) love it like that's what i'm talking about i need a musical dance payoff i really agree yeah and and i really need i mean what if you could just add that into more movies that they then have a big musical section at the end explaining most of what's happened i truly i don't i am not joking when i say it i think people think that i'm joking when i do truly miss the horror heyday or the or whatever heyday of movies in the 80s and like early 90s and maybe a little bit at the tail end of the 70s Heck day. where where the song at the end of the movie explained the plot i movie. know i love that we're shit. putting too much faith in people understanding what they're seeing <laughs> it wasn't like a standard thing but it happened pretty often like enough for you to be like all right well i guess that this is a thing we're doing so would it be an original song for the movie yeah, well, so for example, at the end of uh, the uh, the Adams family, uh-huh. there's a song by MC Hammer, and he just describes the Adams family, like, and describes what happened and like what hijinks occurred. There was like usually like some tie-in that like before it was like I don't know if it was like before, or after, or during when it was like let's have this person and just attach their pop song to the movie. Mm-hmm. They would have someone and be like, hey, this is the movie. Here are the themes. Here's some of the stuff write something that speaks to that it was like almost like a hybrid of the disney model where like you'd have Mm -hmm. vanessa williams sing a song about pocahontas or whatever well you would have the original song and then you would have the adult contempo version that played over the credits and was for grown-ups to buy at the mall yeah that's exactly right yeah i'm gonna read the adam's groove by mc hammer to you guys thank you (laughs) they do what they want to do say what they want to (laughs) say live how they want to live Play Play how how they they want to play. play. (laughs) Dance how they want to dance. Kick and the slap a friend. I think that's a mistake in the transcription. Now I was cold coolin', you know, maxin' and relaxin'. Just kickin' it around the house. Oaktown kickin' it. 
when a knock, a knock, a knock, and a voice, yo, can Hammer come out? What's up? <laughs> now, I don't mind being a friend and showing a little bit of flavor, but Wednesday Pugsley Gomez Fester, oh man, man, them some strange neighbors. <laughs> Oh, so he's inserting himself yeah. into yeah. the world of the Adams family. He's their neighbor. Okay. And that's one way for it to go. That's one way for it to go, for sure. Like, that would happen sometimes. I just miss it. And I'm just thinking now, less an explanatory song, but at the end of Friday the 13th, part six, they had an original pop song by Alice Cooper called He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask, <laughs> which is great, which also I, I did kind of explain the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You're deep in love, but you're deeper in the woods was a lyric, which I think is fucking great. <laughs> what else do we want to say about uh, about this movie before we ask our signature question, Allison? We will walk you through that when the time comes. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, I guess I will just say, like, other people don't have to think the things that you like are good. <laughs> <laughs> And if you feel like you need that, you can get over it. Yeah, you can get over it. Like it, they, like their lack of understanding of the magic doesn't need to take it away from your joy of the experience. Spoken like a true get over it fan. Spoken yeah. like a true fairy. Did you go through a period with loving this movie early where you were frustrated where maybe other people did not love it as much as you do? I'd say my biggest issue was when I finally showed it to my husband and he wasn't like blown away. <laughs> I do think that's a character flaw, but you know. I'm sure he has many other strengths. There's a whole thing in the vows about that. Yeah. <laughs> And I guess I had to understand that, like, I was seeing at a time where I, I feel like it's influenced things or like the humor is now more familiar, like the mm -hmm. types of like the jokes that they make and like, you know, but like for me, it's like when you watch like an action movie that at the time the technology was so good and now it's like dated or whatever. Like at that time, I just feel like it was like so but i also just think it's not his favorite genre like i don't know mm -hmm. everyone's allowed to be different but it was a big problem for us <laughs> yeah as it should be when i said on twitter we were going to cover this and and there were some people who are enthusiastic about it i asked i was like what do you love about it and they said it is the personification of this tweet and the tweet reads there is some perfectly good three out of five or four out of five star movies out there that if you watch them at the exact right point in your life, you will become convinced that it's the greatest movie ever made. And I think like that's so many of the movies we cover where like we form a bond with a movie because it just was like at exactly the right time. And like we it became a part of us and we became a part of it. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. I have so many of those movies where by no means in any world do I expect someone else to have the same feeling. To, that I do about it. <laughs> and if we all did, that would be terrible because then it, everything would be an heiress tour type situation. <laughs> Can't even get tickets. <laughs> well, so we do this thing at the end of the show, Allison, where we ask the question, we say, we know that Burke has a father who's played by Egg Begley Jr. in this movie who in your view is the daddy of the movie this is an invitation for you to interpret that question however you want what character is the daddy of get over it and then just explain why you think so and again your interpretation of daddy entirely up to you wow this is so hard <laughs> i i think it's colin hanks's character hmm because he's really looking out for Burke. He meddles too much in other people's business. He's trying to orchestrate things that don't actually come about. He thinks he understands the world better than the other people around him when he doesn't really. Um, but then ultimately, his unconditional love for both his sister and his best friend means that everyone's happy and, and together at the end. Mm. That's a... A perfect response to the question. You got the <laughs> you got the task. That's fantastic. That's great. Who are you gonna say? I'm gonna say vitamin C in this case. <laughs> 
<laughs> for no reason outside of the fact that like I can't believe how much vitamin C has been in my life from from being in hairspray yeah. to graduating right at the time the graduation song came out. She's really fantastic in this and uh, singing Love Will Keep Us Together. One of my absolute favorite songs, a song that when Stephen Malkmus described it in an interview, said of the end that he really appreciates a song that presents simulated mirth. I love this song <laughs> so much. And I think that it's it was such a dynamic way to start the movie. She's the one who sings the song, right? At the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And then yeah. she sings again at the end. She's not a character in the film. No, she's just there <laughs> as vitamin C open and close of the movie. And I, it's fucking great. I love it. I loved her. It, it was a delight. Like, how did that even come to be is another big question I have. Yeah, great question. <laughs> she was eating at the same Arby's as a director and yeah. took a chance. Well, with I think the graduation song came out either in 2000 or early summer of 2000 or summer of 2001. And if it was summer of 2000, there was at least nine months in which she could do whatever she wanted. Because yeah. that was the mm -hmm. biggest song in the world. <laughs> <laughs> And what she chose to do was to be in ghetto for it. Good for her. She nailed it with Cisco. She was like, Cisco's going to be in it. It'll be great. Um, Sarah Marshall, who's your daddy? My daddy is Cisco. Hell yeah. And I love that he's in this movie. It was such a sweet surprise. He gets a big <laughs> dance solo at the end. Mm -hmm. He like he was in stage crew and he gets to step up and be a featured dancer. And it's so exciting for his character, <laughs> his name I don't remember. And... <laughs> I also, I didn't hear this personally. I heard tell of it from my friend Adrian, but I will tell you what I heard, which is that on Z100, Portland's pop radio station, every weekend or something, they would play the top five pop hits. And at the height of Cisco's thong song, they just played the thong song five times in a row. <laughs> and really? no one else has approached that level of power, maybe ever. Oh, so your hit station was called Z100 too? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's just a thing. There's just like Z100s all over the place. Yeah, because in New York, that was like the main the main guy. I bet we were copying you. We were maybe. like, they're, they're far away. They'll never notice. <laughs> Allison, thanks for being here. This was tremendous. This is something I've I've wanted to do for a long time. And if even if 10 more people watch get over it as a result of this, I'll have done the Lord's work. You'll have brought so much joy into the world. I hope <laughs> that this movie just that you share it with so many more people because it's just such a light, sweet, like it, it really does just like make me feel like kind of safe and happy to watch. And I'm so happy to know about another movie that can do that. Oh, yay. I will cry. <laughs> oh, my God. Allison, how, how, what do you want people to find of yours? Like, how should people look for you when they're done listening? Oh, yes. I'm sort of all over the internet, but you can listen to my podcast Just Between Us on Mondays and Wednesdays. Um, I also have a YouTube channel called Just Between Us and then a mental health focused Instagram and Substack called Emotional Support Lady. Fabulous. Thank you, Allison. Really, thank you for being here. This is a, a highlight of the day. Uh, well, highlight of the year for me. <laughs> <laughs> Allison. All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a Feelings podcast about movies. Thank you so much to Allison Raskin for joining us and talking about Get Over It. Thanks to Miranda Zickler for producing this episode, for editing this episode. Thanks to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make the episode sound so sweet. Thank you for supporting us via Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. You get those bonus episodes. Thanks for finding us on social media in all of the social media places. Uh, you can find content related to the shows. You can, it, the show doesn't only have to be a once a week in your ear type of thing. You can engage the content that we have on the various social media networks. That's how this whole thing works. That's it for now. We'll be back next week and the week after that and the week after that and probably forever. That's the dream. <laughs> See you next week and forever. And don't forget that you, my friend, are good. <laughs>